Hi, my name is Riley Brown. I am a member of the Open Table community. I am a wife and a mother and also a musician. Three years ago, I was finishing college and I was a newlywed and unexpectedly we found out we were expecting, unexpectedly expecting. Um, <laughs> so he was born in August of 2014. It was a great experience. Um, but when we got home and got settled, there were so many emotions. It didn't take long for me to realize that some of my emotions weren't quite right or weren't quite normal. Um, and I was really having a hard time pretty early on. And it wasn't just the stress of having a newborn and a new marriage. Um, it was kind of a feeling or a sense of not knowing who I was anymore and sinking into a depression that lasted for months. A lot of my friends at the time were still in college and could not relate to me and they couldn't really visit me. I didn't have any friends that already had children and so it was just a very isolating time in my life. So over the winter, um, I started to feel really, really down. There are times that I don't even, I can't even remember like weeks at a time. I was trying to finish college and you know, I had this new life that I was trying to figure out. I hadn't picked up a, gu a guitar for over a year. Um, and writing music had always been something. It, I mean, I had done that since I was 14. So in February, um, when my son was about six months old, I picked up a guitar again and I started writing and it ended up being extremely therapeutic and really helping me through that time. And I think I felt a hope that I, I didn't realize at the time what I was feeling. So I ended up writing a bunch of songs over that winter and into the spring and summer. Later in 2015, I took them to a friend who wanted to help me actually record them and you know get something going musically. It kind of ended up being this project um, we recorded and now are playing shows with these songs. That winter was the lowest point I've ever had in my life and um, I think picking up the guitar and just deciding to do something that I loved instead of uh, continuing with how I was living saved my life and my relationships and it changed my life and um, it was just such a healing thing for me. husband Garrett have been coming to the open table for a while now and uh, Garrett in fact is one of our other um, core group of leaders members and um, their son Shepard who you saw in the video is about the same age as the open table he's two and a half which is really really special uh, and not long ago their, their family helped serve as greeters before one of our, our open table services and it was the best thing ever <laughs> very sweet um, Having Shepherd, their son, with us is a great reminder to us that discipleship starts very young. 
I'm living proof of that. Um, when I was a little girl growing up in church, uh, music was my discipleship, my education. I remembered all of the songs, but none of the sermons. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> uh, at any time, uh, you could find me out on the swing set, swinging and just singing at the top of my lungs, things like Fanny Crosby's Blessed Assurance and such classics as uh, Sandy Patty's Was It a Morning Like This? Um, so music became a vehicle for the gospel for me, and it helped me build community and spiritual formation in ways that words could not. So when Nick and I found out we were going to be part of your summer playlist series, we were really excited to join you. So here a little more of the word of the Lord from Zephaniah chapter 3, which you heard a bit of from Emily just a moment ago. Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. God will rejoice over you with gladness. God will renew you in love. God will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At the time when I gather you. We have an Easter tradition at the open table. Uh, we've started doing this thing where we do storytelling for our Easter services. Um, stories of hope and resurrection in the spirit of Jesus. The first year we did it, someone came up to us after the service was over and said, wow, there's, there's so many places I could have gone today, so many churches I could have been at where I would have heard the same Easter sermon I've always heard, but the open table is the only place I could come and tell my story. And so as we've grown, that storytelling practice has become part of our core identity, our sharing our stories alongside God's story. We did it again this year. Um, this past Easter, we invited people in our little open table community to share their own stories of resurrection, and Riley was one of our storytellers, and she shared the story you just heard. Um, she also shared a song that she wrote during that difficult time in her life, and you could hear the music from that song playing in the background. We're um, celebrating with her right now because she just released her first album. Um, it's called, her, her band name is Shell's Music, if you want to look that up later and hear the song for yourself. Unfortunately, she couldn't be here with us this morning to play it, but... We wanted to let you know um, that music you heard was from the song. She wrote it during a difficult time in her life, and when music was helping her get through her own experience of dying and rising, which is a common pattern in the Christian faith. So today, um, this has been a little introduction of what we're doing. You heard Riley's story. Next, you're going to hear Nick's story, and then uh, one from my own life. So thank you for allowing us to be part of this summer playlist series with you and sharing your our stories with yours, and sharing your table. Thanks, Wendy. So like Wendy said, uh, my name is Nick Pickerell. I've been here at Second for a little over three years, um, working on the open table, and it's been a blast. Uh, so thanks again for having us here this morning. In 2007, I traveled to India, and I traveled there because I heard a sermon and I read a book. That's all it took. <laughs> I stayed in a small rural town called Tuni, and this was the first time I'd ever traveled internationally alone, so I made prior arrangements to stay and work at an orphanage in this small village. 
At this orphanage, there were 500 children, and over the course of one month, I got the chance to play a lot of games with them. We played soccer. I was really good when I was up against small children. Not so good when I'm up against people my own age. <laughs> I played soccer. We played this game called Coco, which uh, is like a way better version of Duck, Duck, Goose. We sang songs together, and we laughed, because really, what else can you do when there's this thing called a language barrier, right? In addition to hanging out with these children, I helped serve meals. I visited uh, villages that were specifically designed for folks who are living with leprosy. I toured sites that were hit hard by the tsunami. I helped commission wells, and I visited a Hindu temple. There were many more things I did, but those are just a few highlights. You see, the reason I took this trip is because I felt stuck. At that time in my life, I, the job that I was in, I really only liked it three months out of the year, and the other nine, I was like, ugh, what am I doing? Uh, and spiritually speaking, I was really in need of a more compelling vision if I was going to continue down this whole Christianity path. So when I heard a sermon from this guy who moved in with a bunch of friends to a neighborhood in Philadelphia where a bunch of poverty has been concentrated, and so that they could do peace and justice work, naturally, something woke up inside of me. My heart began to beat faster. And this same guy who spoke about this, about moving into this neighborhood, also spoke about how he sold a bunch of stuff and hung out with Mother Teresa in India doing the work that the Sisters of Charity did. So naturally, after hearing that sermon a bunch of times, I was like, okay, I'm in. I've got some stuff. I can sell it. So I sold some stuff, and I went to India for a month. And I realized the thing that I was looking for was resurrection or new life. So on the plane ride from Frankfurt to Chennai or Madras, I met this Indian man. He was a Catholic priest who was living in Canada and was moving back to India to start an orphanage. I was like, oh, that's funny. So I told him about how I was going to work at an orphanage, actually pretty close to where he was going. So uh, upon telling him my travel plans, he recognized that I was really only going to the orphanage and then heading back home. And so he insisted on showing me India. <laughs> and so <laughs> at the end of the plane ride, uh, by the time the plane had landed, I had changed my itinerary and <laughs> we had swapped phone numbers. And at the end of the month, I was going to hang out with this Catholic man that I met on a plane. So fast forward to the day before, I was to meet up with the priest. So this was near the end of my month's stay. I was sitting in the principal's office of the school that is at this orphanage. And so as me and this principal were chatting, someone ran in and shouted something in the native language and then bolted right back out again. And so because, again, language barrier, I had no idea what they were talking about. So I looked out the window and I saw a bunch of adults all cruising really fast in the same direction, out the gate, one of the gates of the orphanage and onto a highway that was just outside the gate. So I figured, um, it just made me wonder what in the world was going on. And so I recognized that India is crazy when it comes to highways. And I actually have a picture of one of them. So here is a highway similar to one that actually is the highway in a different stretch of it, similar to the one that's in uh, Tuni. So on this one stretch of road, you will have trucks, Cars, motorcycles, rickshaws, and carriages, 
bicycles, and shepherds. <laughs> all on the same stretch of highway. So as soon as I saw all the adults cruising out in that direction, I realized that something must have happened. So the director told me to follow him, and we took off towards the highway. And as soon as we neared the gate, I noticed that all the adults were running right. But at the time that they were all running right, I saw one person bolting to the left, carrying a child, a very small child in their arms that was crying a lot. And so we turn right, and then there before me is a truck. And below that truck is a bicycle that had been mangled. And beside that truck with that bicycle was a man who was laying down and breathing erratically. So the director and I walked up to this person, and for about 30 seconds, he sat there breathing and folks were helping him. And at the end of that time, he breathed his last breath. I watched this man's life pass from his body. And I'd never seen anything like this before. I'd been shielded from these types of scenes my entire life. In fact, I felt invincible growing up. I got my fair share of accidents when I was driving a car at age 16, and uh, those never hurt me, so I felt like I'm untouchable. And yet here I was in India, standing over a man who has just died, and thinking about this child who will grow up without their dad. So naturally, I experienced a lot of emotions. I experienced uh, confusion. I, I was scared because I, this was the first time I'd had to really face the fragility of life. I was angry. I was angry at God. Like, why this person? Why does this child have to grow up without their dad? And I cried. I cried a lot that day. And when I wasn't crying, I was just in a haze. So that night, after the activities were done at the orphanage, I went back to my room, and I was just sitting there thinking about what I had just experienced, trying to make sense of it, and I really, really wanted someone to talk to. But since there wasn't anybody there to talk to, I decided to play some music. And by play, I mean listen. So I decided to listen to a worship album by a local worship leader. His name is John Shirley. And when I got to a particular track called Breathe You In, I was reminded of a story that John had told me about why he wrote that song. So a few years prior to that, to him writing and releasing this song, he was driving in a car, he was riding in a car with his family, his parents were up front, uh, and his sister and himself, they were in the back. And they were in a really, really bad car accident. And his sister didn't make it. And John was sitting next to her in the car during her final moments. And as a way to grieve the loss of his sister, John then wrote this song. He wrote this song from his sister's perspective. He wanted to paint a picture and imagine what it would be like for his sister in those first moments that she got to meet God and see God face to face. Those first moments as she entered into her new life. So let's take a moment and listen to this song. The words aren't going to be on the screen, so I invite you just to close your eyes and just listen. Listen. 
sat there listening to that song on repeat for hours. And John Shirley, who is half a world away, helped me sit with these emotions and these questions that I had about life and death. And it helped. It really helped. You see, John had no clue that that night he was my therapist, he was my counselor, he gave me a sense of hope. He helped me to understand the gift that is life and how delicate it is. He helped me understand that with life being a gift, it's meant to be held with open hands so that when that gift is gone, we're able to let it go and cherish the time that we got to spend together. So the next day, I packed my things, and I left the orphanage, and I met up with that priest that I talked about earlier. And after a long drive to Chennai, this priest wanted to take me to church. And not just any church, he took me to St. Thomas's Basilica. And uh, we're talking about Doubting Thomas, right? One of the 12 disciples, Thomas. That's the basilica that this priest took me to. And he took me to a place within the grounds there called the Little Mount. And on that spot is where Thomas was killed. So there I was, faced with death, death again. I was faced with mortality. I immediately thought of the father who died, and I thought of that song. I thought about how John spoke so beautifully about a life that doesn't end at death, but a life that continues on. That as soon as we breathe out our last breath here, we breathe in our first breath with God. 
I also thought about Peter, one of the other 12 disciples. Peter, very early on, as soon as Jesus asked him to follow him, said yes and went for it. But whenever Jesus was arrested and was executed, Peter denied him three times. And why was that? It's because the stakes had been raised, right? So Peter, when faced with the possibility of death, the possibility of following in the footsteps of Jesus, Peter in that moment didn't know how to respond. He panicked, and he denied even knowing Jesus. But Jesus, post-resurrection, came back and asked Peter three times if he would follow Jesus. And it was at that time that Peter thought about that question again and had a different response, right? Peter looked at the reality of possibly having to follow the same fate as Jesus and still decided to follow him. He chose to follow him because he believed in the resurrection. He believed in that rising. So in that moment, everything began to click in my brain. Before the India trip, I felt spiritually dead, and I didn't really know what to do with the the questions that I had about my faith. I had no answers. But when I heard about this community of people in Philadelphia living amongst those who are marginalized and knowing that they decided to do that precisely because of the things that Jesus did in the New Testament, it woke me up. It not only woke me up, it took me to India, it introduced me to a priest, it forced me to face death, it got me to listen to a song on repeat for hours, it took me to the very spot Thomas was murdered on, and it made me ask a question. Would I let my fear of death or injury or harm prevent me from following Jesus into the places I had never been? or into communities that I was told to fear. Those same communities that that guy who gave that sermon, who moved into that community in Philadelphia to do peace and justice work, those kinds of communities. I was wrestling, like Peter was, with questions, with the question of whether or not I could follow Jesus, knowing that if I did, it could put me in places that could result in violence that would come my way. So I came back home from India, I listened to that song some more, and the day I got back, wouldn't you know it, I read an email talking about a group of people who were starting a community in the historic Northeast who were offering showers to folks who were sleeping on the streets. The day I got back. So in my mind in that moment, I answered, I had an answer to that question that Peter faced. And so I showed up at their front door. They gave me cookies and a book And I moved in. See, it doesn't really take much for me. (laughs) And I lived at Cherith Brook Catholic Worker House for five years. And I still volunteer there today. And that place taught me what it looks like to experience both death and life, death and resurrection. That place showed me what it looks like to live a life completely unbound from the things we are told to fear. And it allowed for truly beautiful things to take place in me, in my community, and in the neighborhood. That place taught me what an embodied faith looks like, a faith that's lived out every day. And you know what? It was exactly that kind of Christianity that I was needing. And that's how a song saved my life.
When I was a teenager, my youth group at the aforementioned church I grew up in, doing lots of singing, um, they put on a play called The First Church of Pete's Garage. Uh, it was about a group of teenagers who just get fed up with the way their parents are running the church, and so they decide they could do a better job, and they are just going to start their own little church plant in one of their garages. My boyfriend played the role of the pastor, so he was Pastor Pete of Pete's Garage Church, um, and I played the role of the pastor's girlfriend. <laughs> At the time, it didn't occur to me that I could be anything else. It would not be until many, many years later um, that I sorted through that and I would realize that I could be in the role of pastor myself and that God was calling me into leadership in the church. Because in the church I grew up in, uh, women weren't really seen in visible leadership positions. If, if they were in leadership, it was sort of in the background as like a children's pastor or a music minister. They weren't really represented in leadership or in the language we used in worship. In that church, the vision of God was not big enough to include people like me and many others as well. And that was a painful discovery for me to make, to realize I could no longer continue in my vocation and work there, to realize that um, I would have to leave this place that I loved and these people who raised me. In the process of leaving that church and that denomination, I had to face the rejection of many friends and many family members who just couldn't understand why I was suddenly going off to the spiritual deep end. But you know what I decided? I like the deep end. <laughs> I like it. Um, and I met God in the deep end. And so I took that leap of faith. God guided me through that dying and rising process and gave me new friends who were not afraid to walk with me through it, who were not threatened by my gifts and my calling. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe you're there now. Don't be afraid of the deep end. The water's fine. Somewhere in the middle of that dying and rising and resurrection process of mine, I heard the song I'm about to play for you now. And I experienced the love and grace of God in a deeply moving way, a way that helped sustain me for my long journey of faith which, as we know, is not always easy. As I play during this time of reflection, feel free to sit quietly and listen or use the space in your bulletin to write about how you've experienced God through music during a time of resurrection in your own life. Just use the time in a way that's beneficial to your spirit.
Thank you.